You are listening to the Sassy and Self-Employed podcast, Sassy Talk with Jenny Blue, where she has insightful and informative conversations with creative artists, designers, and entrepreneurs that will empower and inspire you to earn revenue from your talents and passions. She discusses what you need to know to achieve your financial and career goals from those blazing their trail to creative and entrepreneurial success. Grab your beverage of choice, settle in, and get to know Jenny's inspirational guests one episode at a time. You will be empowered and motivated with every conversation. My name's Jenny Blue, and you are with Emma Magenta. At her studio up in Medlow Bath, and this is Sassy Talk, and I am going to be chatting to Em today about her creative career. So for those of you that are not familiar with Emma Magenta, she is an accomplished artist, writer, author, filmmaker, and tarot consultant. She has seven published books under her belt, either she's either written or illustrated. She's had an animation screened on ABC. She has had her film Remembering Agatha screened at the Adelaide Film Festival and at Tropfest in 2017-2018. And we are going to chat to her about her creative life and how she has found things uh, challenging and how she has uh, overcome those things. So your repertoire, Em, is incredibly creative and diverse. Could you share how you came to investigate these various creative avenues and which of these served as a catalyst to start you on your creative trajectory? Um, Well, I would say probably what initiated this, you know, trajectory that I've been on creatively has has been my, first of all, drawing. I mean, I went to art school um, and started drawing. Uh, I found drawing was the most immediate thing. I did study photography, but then it involved equipment and all that stuff that I couldn't be bothered with. So I, I wanted, you can, you know, can go anywhere with a pencil. So I think everything sort of came from there. Um, and it started probably when I was trapped in a bookshop shop for like 10 years, fantasizing about, you know, being an artist, but realizing I was merely a bookseller, um, that I just started drawing on the paper bags there. And, um, and then started exhibiting them there, uh, unbeknownst to my employer for a while. <laughs> just started popping them up on the wall and in the front window on Oxford Street. And I just sort of did it. I mean, it could have been just um, latent exhibitionism, um, which those who know me would agree that I do possess such things. Um, but it did connect with people who would walk by. So it was kind of this thing of it was it was kind of like social media before social media, before digital age, because I kind of just pinned like so my drawings on the wall behind um, the front desk were like tweets because they came with writing as well and then the ones in the window were like that. But it, it sort of it just was like random people coming at people and there's always people coming in the shop. So it sort of built from there and then I guess writing kind of, I mean, obviously being in a bookshop, I obviously love reading and writing. So those two worlds came together. But usually I wouldn't say, and my path is pretty bizarre and the only thing you can really take away from my path is believe in your dreams because I literally got a publishing deal at the front desk, um, which, you know, doesn't really, it's not really what's written down into how to get your book published or something. But I think something that people can take away with from that is, you know, just do the work and then, 
the guy that gave me the opportunity said it wasn't luck, it was hard work meeting an opportunity. So there's all these different formulas that people think you have to follow to to do things. Um, but I think if you just know what you want to do and why you're doing it, opportunities find you. You don't have to really chase things so much. I find whatever I chase tends to sort of evaporate anyway. <laughs> so I would say, you know, writing and being an artist is is the basis and then doing film has been something that was sort of handed to me and, you know, I thought it probably won't come to anything but then it does. <laughs> I know. Well, you spoke about the concept around remembering Agatha quite a number of years before it actually came to fruition. Yeah, I remember yeah. having a conversation with you saying that you were talking about, you know, this woman that's having, you know, married with children and, you know, having wanting a, a better, you know, having a breakdown <laughs> and get, you know, goes through this um, portal through a dishwasher. And I mean, I remember you sharing that, oh, it had to be around 2012. Yeah. 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 I reckon it was then. That's when I had the idea because I was actually writing a whole other thing in my kitchen and I, it was at sort of midnight when everyone was asleep, the kids were asleep and I had a moment to myself and, and I, I was writing this other story and then I suddenly went, I, I looked at the dishwasher, I put something in and I thought wouldn't it be great just to sort of, wouldn't that be great if that was a plate, like a portal, like I could just <laughs> disappear. And then I went, then the whole idea just came. So I stopped writing, was writing and just wrote this idea about this mother of two who escaped the domestic prison through um, the dishwasher and tucked it away because I thought, you know, that's a little too close to home to write that story. And then, you know, kind of how many years later, six years later, it was like debuting as a short film. Um, again, not because I chased that story, but it was kind of like filmmakers found me and then I said yes because I was hoping to God it wouldn't turn into anything. And then and then they, it did. Then I got funding and then suddenly there was this machine behind it. And I'm like, but I haven't finished writing this story. Like all I know is she goes through the dishwasher. Like I don't quite know what happens on the other side. Like, and, and sort of finding that out was kind of like, oh, this is also helping me with my life because I know what happens on the other side now. So. Yeah, because a lot of your work is derived from your own personal experience. So if anyone has ever read any of Em's books, you would know that they have a real, they connect with people because they're quite personal and people often can connect with or engage with that because they recognise something that's similar in their own life. So do you find that confronting to share that in your work? Like, you know, I can share that I find it really hard to sort of put that out there in any creative work I do, do you find that really confronting to just draw upon that and put it out there? Well, I would say no because I would find I'm not. I'm just not very good at writing about things that I haven't experienced yeah. um, and also I don't really care about things I haven't experienced. So to create artwork I kind of, I'm not, I mean it sounds quite selfish but I'm creating artwork to find out who I am and I write to find out who I am or what I'm going through and so the process itself is sort of my own form of, I guess, therapy for want of a better word, but self-understanding, but it also kind of, I guess, then, you know, once I do put it out in the world, I feel like, oh, cool, it's not my problem anymore. It's your, it's your problem, like, you know. I know. And and then with that process, and I, I guess, you know, we didn't sort of allude to this earlier, but, you know, it is your personal experience and you are creating work that people actually put 
you know, a, a price tag on. And mm. that's quite hard, I would imagine, to have some value placed on. It's still my mental illness <laughs> or my tragedy <laughs> you know I mean? or whatever like, it is, you know. I, you know, and pricing that correctly or, you know, putting a, a price tag on that, I find, I guess, you know, it's a value to you. Like you're saying, you're going through a process, but putting a price or, uh, you know. Yeah, that is true. That's probably been the hardest lesson I've had to learn because, I mean, artists are brainwashed too into, you know, people kind of look at it like doing art's a luxury and, and you know, you're lucky if someone's buying your work or investing in it um, because it's not really practical. You know, it's what's it doing for the community. Um, but actually artists really, if you think about it, I mean, not all artists, but, you know, I look at artists as being like the sort of shamans of the culture if they kind of have take the time to sort of understand what's going on in the inner world and put it out there in a way that helps other people feel like they're understood or have some answers or whatever. Um, or have something mirrored back to them, then they're actually doing a great service for community. Absolutely. Um, and and, I, and it isn't really quantifiable. Like, I, I mean, that's the problem. Like, so how do you actually quantify someone's wisdom and understanding? And and that's what an artist has to get over in themselves. Like a lot of people, and I've certainly suffered from this, you don't want to, you know, desecrate your art form with mixing it with the economy. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, I've got two kids to feed and, you know, you, these things, but you also, to me, it's about what choices you make. You, I think if you make a really clear boundary about what you, your work is worth and stick with that, um, and I do that with my tarot cons- consultations, like do it so that the person who's coming to see you is not being exploited, but do it so that your time is actually being honoured. And then you just, money, just the whole question of money gets taken out of it. The yeah. equation and then people just turn up because they know what the figure is. They're either doing it or they're not doing it. They come back if they think it was good. Um, and I think art's the same. You just put this is what it's worth because for me it's like how attached I am to the work. Like there's some pieces I do feel sad when I let them go. Um, but I think you have to get past that idea you've got to be poverty stricken to be an artist or not, not even poverty, but you can, you can actually make a living from being an artist if you actually are sensible enough and, and stop sitting around waiting for curators and galleries to save you. You've got to take your own yeah, you path have, into your hands as well. You have to show initiative. And mm. I, I guess you putting your artwork up in the, you know, Berkeley books in Paddington, like you were actually exhibiting you were sort of like taking yes. the opportunity to exhibit. You were putting yourself out there and that opportunity presented itself because you did take the step forward. You weren't sitting in a studio waiting for someone to knock on your door. You were mm. actually engaging in the world and and putting your artwork up to be engaged with and, you know, people to, for, to connect with people. So you have to, face, you have yeah. to accept criticism. I think the thing that really holds back artists is this sense of fear of what other people are going to think of what you're doing, but you have to recognise people care less what you're doing than what you do, right? Like they only are really going to care about what you're doing if they connect with it or if you've won a huge prize and they are jealous and want to tear you down. (laughs) Thankfully that's not happened to me. I've not won a huge prize. No, but. But, you know, think of all the Archibald winners. I mean, that's a classic example of someone's put themselves in a very kind of public path to get a claim and, there's always going to be people that have something. But the general artists moving about in the world, you need to get over 
worrying about what people think about your work. Yes, and just put it out there and, mm. yeah, and then opportunities will present and it will connect with someone. Yeah. You know, the, the law of averages, if nothing else, but it will connect with people because no one's really an island. So I, I believe that. Well, if you believe in you. Yeah. It kind of does, I mean, quantum physics will say then, you know, the ripple effect will be, actually I won't even pretend I know quantum physics, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I have read in one of those New Age books that that's what it does. <laughs> uh, you know a lot of other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Just not the jargon. I'm not really a science person. I mean, I like science, but I don't have the, the jargon. So what are you particularly curious and passionate about at the moment? I know you're always working on projects and... Hobbies or just projects? Either. Um, 90s techno is helping me a lot and tap dancing in my kitchen, which I'm thinking about getting tap shoes. And why I spring this up is that I think even though I'm not going to be a professional tap dancer, Mm -hmm. it does feed into my creative work because I think if you focus too much on the things you do, I think you need to play. You need to get into the zone of, for me right now, what I'm passionate about is getting back to play because I've had an exhibition this year and I'm having another one in three months. And you need to get into that headspace that allows you just to be in the moment of spontaneity because I think that's where real creativity comes from. So I like music for me and dancing is my way of connecting to that spirit. So that and reading, reading about the wounded masculine <laughs> you know, light reading. Just a little bit of reading about the patriarchy, you know. Just they're my hobbies, dancing and reading about the patriarchy and watching, like binge-watching series like Merlin, you know, that just make me feel like I'm not really in reality. Escapism. Escapism is good. It gets underrated. Everyone says, you know, you've got to be really present. I feel like I'm too present, so sometimes I need to escape. Well, that's self-care, isn't it? It is. (laughs) is. Merlin, I highly recommend it. Get through season one and it's fantastic. Okay, can you share, and I hate saying this word, but is there anything in your career that you sort of, you know, stuck your big toe in and tried on for size and it didn't actually quite work out? So is there anything? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, where do I, which one do I choose? (laughs) I mean, I often, I don't like to use the word fail because I think, you know, I always like to think of Thomas Edison where, you know, he worked out a thousand different ways not to make a light bulb. Right. Mm. So it's, you know, I'm reticent to say failure, but, you know, when anyone embarks on any creative journey, any business journey, anything they're trying to achieve, everyone goes in with good faith and, you know, the, the failure word often hangs around. And it's always comforting to know, I think, if people, if you've tried something on for size and it didn't work, you know, what was it and, you know, what did you take from it, I guess? Well, the two ones that stand out, the first one was I had a complete obsession with being an opera singer <laughs> when I was quite young. I wanted to sing. Um, and I, lo- I did it, I studied it for three years. Um, and then because, I mean, I had, I had potential, but I, I knew I wasn't going to be amazing and I don't want to do things unless I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. I'm, I'm not saying what I've done so far is amazing, but I've certainly felt at times, yes, I'm, I'm rocking this naive art sort of genre that I'm in. Um, but I would say. You are rocking it, Em. I'm not going I will, to, I will support that one. You are rocking it. I think, and also I think the part is with music because it mattered to me so much. 
uh, that I cared too much about it, that I would actually, um, I guess, hinder myself with my own expression with it. So for me, other people wouldn't, maybe other people would see it. Certainly my opera singing teacher was relieved when I decided to become an environmental activist for a while because she knew, I mean, that's what she just thought I was better at those things, right? (laughs) Um, That's Yeah, but I just think that was a sadness, but I had to accept, you know, that's something I love doing, but it doesn't have to be a career. Um, And the other one was, um, so even making my film, Remembering Agatha, I remember, like I'd never made a film. I was at suddenly starting at the high end of making film. I hadn't even made a backyard video. So it was pretty like, you know, geez, you know. And I not only was I writing it, I had to direct it as well. So, you know, and so the, it was pretty challenging. And I remember getting back the, the rushes from the film shoot and um, I couldn't believe this is the film, like this is what I've got to show people. I mean, we hadn't edited it because I didn't know the process. So I looked at it and went, I've got to go and move into a cave and die there forever because no one can find me because I can't put this out in the world. <laughs> and, um, but actually I had great editors and I think what to learn from that moment is for me that was like, oh, well, this is the end of my entire creative career, right? But then I went, no, I'm going to turn this around into something that works. And I had to get proactive. I'd use my iPhone to get pretend footage that I knew we had to pick up. And it actually became quite a highly creative process, what I would call solving the problem. (laughs) Okay. Um, No one who's seen the film would know what went on behind that process. I get so many people seeing the film saying, oh, my God, I love this film and da-da-da. I've had, like, a lot of great feedback. They didn't know the blood, sweat and tears (laughs) that took to bring that film to what it is. Um, And all the people who were involved in that process are well aware and are very proud of what we were able to do with it. But I think what that taught me is there's always, like failure is just a redirection of perspective of how do I turn this into something that works. I mean, and it's not, it's not a, you know, there's no choirs of angels at that moment going, Ta-da, this is the answer. It actually <laughs> oh. comes from um, tenacity and re. re- retaining hope in your vision and and creative troubleshooting and that's with any business it doesn't have to be as an artist it can be anything it's like the failure for me is is a turning point for you if you look at it like an opportunity to think outside your own structures go past your limitations so that's what I would say about that little question (laughs) (laughs) is there anything that you would like to share that you found or believe is invaluable to your career, like something that you have taken up or studied or, you know, just something that's come up, come up that you found invaluable that you weren't expecting to be as, um, you know, important in Probably your career? Probably the digital world because, you know, before that, you know, it's pretty much a Luddite and also very much about the hands-on thing. I mean, I draw with my opposite hand and, and you know, there was all about this sort of, uh, manual aspect, but twofold. The digital world is is a burden, a trap, so many awful things. But it's also a tool if you use it properly to make you autonomous. And, and it doesn't matter what career it is, but if you, you learn to use, say, social media platforms that work for your thing. Like I'm a writer, so I also Twitter's my main. You have a number of Twitter followers, don't you? 
I do have, oh, I don't know, 36,000 or something. Yeah, that I would call um, sizable. Well, for the amount of years I've been on it, one would expect. <laughs> <You've got this laughs> amount of hours I've wasted. <laughs> but, but you get yeah. a lot of connection I do. through that. Too, I do, but also you? I road test my ideas there. But also having said that, it's just a place for me to go and work through my writing and then I do get feedback and, and it does build your profile, although that wasn't my motivation. Um, but these are the things that were unexpected. I went on there because I was at home feeling quite trapped and really bored with the, some of the processes of which I was creating and the publishing industry was going through a lot of strife. So I kind of took matters into my own hands and found another way of connecting with people Um and then I've, re, you know, I've recently started Instagram. I've done people's Facebook social media pages. And what I've learned through that is businesses flourish when they have a social media presence, but they, it also helps to have a tangible physical outlet as well for what you're doing. Like you, nothing can replace human contact, but reaching people who would normally not come past what you do is also vital. We live in these two worlds. So I think getting your head around that presence, but also making it consistent. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to dabble in it like in September in 2019. Like it's got to be, it's got to be kind of <laughs> at least, at least once a week, but try and do maybe a post every couple of days, you know, just so that you have something of the, to show people what you're doing as an artist. You can't sit there relying on the middlemen anymore to, to pave, pave the way for you. You have to take responsibility for your own uh, creative voice in the world. That's the one advantage of technology. I mean, it's dividing us on other levels, mm -hmm. but it's bringing us together in other ways. So that would be the surprise because, you know, I kind of also secretly hate technology. Well, it's you know, we all love our computer when it's working and absolutely detest them when they're not, like it, <clears throat> just on a fundamental level. But, you know, social media does um, cop a lot of criticism, um, but I think it's, I agree with you, it needs to be handled consistently to actually benefit from it. Mm -hmm. um, every, like they could still say content is king, uh, and I believe that the key to that is making sure that it's relevant to you that and reflects you and is authentic, mm. not necessarily being what something that you believe you should be presenting. It mm. should actually be authentic to you because with all of this technology, you can share, let me know if you agree or not, but people are a lot more um, discerning and they can well, they are, yeah. yeah and people they, can see when, you know, you get those uh you get those things in your inbox going, buy more followers or we can help you make your page look professional and da -da. I all that stuff just to me yeah. is Look, that's not to diss people who've chosen that, but I will bypass your page because I can see that it just lacks it lacks um, the organic uh, thread which I'm looking for. Like I don't care how many followers someone has. It's actually the integrity of the things that they're sharing and I want I choose my page to be like that. Um, I don't just follow people back because they're following me because I think it's dishonest because I'm not actually following them. Um you know, just I try to live the my way online as I do in my life and I post, I don't have a brand per se, but, I mean, you could safely say I post stuff on art, nature, ideas and my writing, tarot, you know, it's pretty animals, 
my dogs, basically. <laughs> my, particularly Maggie, Bummy, Cinnamon. They're very friendly dogs, everyone. Um, but, I mean, essentially it's all got a kind of thread about remembering our humanity, um, which is kind of why I do what I do, like just to remind us that being human is awesome. I know. It's great. It's great. So to wind up, Em, is there anything you would like to share that you think would be valuable for a creative out there that's about to embark on their, you know, career or look at trying to make, you know, living or trying to work out how to use their creative talents in a way that might bring in um, an income for themselves? Is there anything you'd Mm. like to share from your own experience that you think might be helpful? Yeah, look, to start, I think knowing your intention always is key. Like um, if your intention is you want to be really successful and famous, be honest with yourself if that's what you want because I'm not saying, you know, it's a bad path or a good path, but um, there's it's about not, uh, I guess, compromising your integrity, um, whatever that is, because some there's a lot of things that will come at you as op- disguises opportunities, ask yourself always, is the amount of work that I'm doing for this project equal to the money that I'm receiving from it? And you might think, oh, I've got to do these things to get ahead, but you can actually make whole careers out of that choice. I've just got to do this, take this really bad opportunity financially to get ahead and get my name out there, which I know so many people who do that and they don't know how to make that leap into valuing their craft. But on one level you can do little compromises of the experience I'm going to get from doing this project is is good for me to grow my skills so I can take the hit of it being not as, you know, much money as I thought I'd hope to get at this point. So making those kind of choices early on, there's a point where you have to make a decision that you've actually accrued those skills and it's time to value your time and your energy. You know, getting actual skills, like maybe studying, um, you know, always study. It doesn't matter. It have to be formally, like always researching, um, finding out which opportunities would best suit your particular skill set, uh, not just taking anything and hoping you can squeeze your stuff into what they're doing because sometimes that's really stressful. I find Anything with a brief, unless you're a graphic artist, horrifying. (laughs) Like, you know, commissions, I stopped doing them for a while because I like what you do, but can you just change that whole thing that you do to fit in with my thing for someone's wedding? It's like, no, I think I'd rather kill myself, actually. (laughs) You know, that's, you know, so it's kind of like what I'm saying is just know yourself. Know what you like doing. Do you still want to love what you're doing? Uh, or do you want to turn what you love into something that you end up hating by the time you're 30? You know, these are the things you've got to ask yourself because, and and I can tell you the path will make you start to dislike what you do until it forces you to say, well, why am I disliking it? I'm disliking it because I'm compromising in areas that really matter to me. So it's about all these adjustments. But to be honest, if you're just starting off, let me not, you know, take the wind out of your sails right now. Just have courage, have courage to begin with. And also you don't have to chase everything. You can allow, this is my work, put it out in the world, let things come to you a little bit. Thanks, Em. So if anyone is not familiar with Emma Magenta's work, 
I'm going to be posting a list of where you can find her books, the titles of her books. Well, actually, it's all through abe.com now because I'm reprinting them soon. Oh, amazing. Yeah, but for now it's just you've just got to get them where you can find them. Okay. Well, I will definitely get that link from M if you would like to see her books uh, and put a, you know, put her work to her voice that you've heard. And I will definitely also list her other achievements. So if you would like to check them out, I'm sure that you can find them online. So thanks so much, Em. Thanks, Jen. Lovely to be on here and best of luck with this show. Thank you. Thanks, Em. See you.